The Babylon Project was our last best hope for peace. It failed. But in the year of the Shadow War, it became something greater. Our last best hope for victory. The year is 2260. The show, the name of the pod. Episode 48, Convictions, in which a mad bomber terrorizes the station and a number of pilgrims begin to arrive. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Name of the Pod, the Babylon 5 podcast, where we talk about, strangely enough, Babylon 5, the 1990s uh, science fiction show that really (laughs) paved the way for a lot of the non-episodic genre and non-genre television that that, that came since. there's our thesis statement. I am one of your hosts, Chris Tatro, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host, John Cassie. Good evening, John. Good evening, Chris. How are you? Doing okay today. Yeah. So we're yeah. recording this episode in August, and mm-hmm. it is, uh, one, it doesn't help that the state of California is on fire, and mm. two, it is murderously hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, much the same here in Massachusetts, where uh, it's it, you know it's not the heat, it's the humidity. <laughs> mm. No, it's 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 really both. Um, it's both. I, yeah, I, I think in the last week I've spent maybe a total of about twenty minutes outside of air conditioned comfort. Um, you know, God bless the modern age is all I have to say about that. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. Um, so. So what are we talking about today, Chris? Uh, talking about the second episode of season three, Convictions. Uh, yeah. We've bef- got... Yeah, go. No, go ahead. No, no, please. Oh, I was just going to say, we've got uh, not a not too heavy of a, of a plot-driven, this is much more of a character-driven ep- episode, mm-hmm. I think. It's setting up some pieces for down the road, but there's nothing... I don't know that there's anything here that's... You know, we've, we've talked before about if we had to pare things down to a 10 episode or 13 episode season, I'm not sure that the entirety of this would, would make the cut, but there's definitely some, some really good uh, parts in here. Yeah. There's some, there's some grace notes, some evidence Mm of, of, uh, of character development, but yeah, at the end of the day, if you're going to cut to a 10 or a sort of a 12 episode prestige format, Mm. most of this probably gets B plotted or C plotted into another Mm-hmm. another episode or you know it gets you get you get brother theo a little earlier and mm-hmm. he becomes a kind of a, you know kind of an alternate viewpoint character to help humans see a variety of different kinds of perspectives maybe mm-hmm. um yeah i mean he's a good character um but uh yeah. you know to your point if this is if this is the prestige format you know cut you know his his folks probably either have to be brought in earlier because you're establishing a religion and spirituality through line. Right. Right. Or you're kind of not, and you, you know, kind of leave it out. Well, I don't know how much earlier you could really bring in the spirituality element. I think a lot of what we're seeing is in reaction to the Kosh revelation at the mm-hmm. end of last season. Uh, you certainly have the, you have the pilgrims, the Drazi pilgrims who mm-hmm. are showing up to, uh, to to touch the hem of Zach's garment and whatnot, um, something we all want which, to do, right? <laughs> I, yeah, um, you know, I, and I have to say that 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 little piece with with Garibaldi and Zach at the beginning uh, bothered me in yeah. the overall in the sense of the overall tone of respect for spirituality 
that that the show has carried so far that they were just so dismissive and so mocking. Yeah. Um, But Brother Theo is, you know, almost accepted on face just because he's human, because it's a familiar religion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there seemed to be a, a heavy double standard at play there. Yeah. Um, that just, and that just kind of, that bothered me a little bit. Um, yeah. I expect, I guess I expected more out of the show. Yeah, I can see that. You know, you've got Garibaldi's sort of general flippancy, mm-hmm. right? And somehow the Drazi are not able to turn that flippancy, whereas Brother Theo, uh, you know, who re- sort of recognizes the flippancy for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of, he has the ability to kind of pivot against it and sort of put Garibaldi a bit back on his on his heels yeah. a little bit. So yeah, I mean, I do guess you have the two kind of um, you know blue collar everyman characters there. Uh, the, the other than well, no, you, Stephen Franklin has his uh, his mode training or whatever that his <laughs> religion is called there. Uh, Foundationism. But, uh, Foundationism. Foundationism. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Apologies to all the the mode trainists uh, in our audience. Um, so I think you've got the two characters who have kind of the least use for religion and spirituality in Garibaldi and in in Zach. Uh, so they're they're going to be the least receptive to it. Sure. So I guess you know if you had somebody else there to greet the the the, the Drazi coming off the shuttle, it you know the scene would have played out probably very differently. Yeah, I think almost certainly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know the um, the one of the points that we've made now half a dozen times as we've progressed from season one to season two to season three is the great care that the writers, JMS, the directors, the actors, the actors playing the religious characters, not the ones reacting to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great care they take in presenting religious themes and spiritual themes with respect and dignity and care, right? And I particularly like that Brother Theo and his group uh, are purported to be coming from an actual existent monastery. Right. 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 You know, one that exists they, right now. Yeah. They could and, have made up something on Mars or Europa or something like that, but... Yeah, I thought that was a nice historicist yeah. touch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I have studied medieval history. We know that that monastic communities that have been established for 1,500 years still going strong. Right. Right? And yeah. it's entirely plausible that a monastic community extant in 1995 could send its representatives to Babylon 5 in... 2260 that's not 300 years in in monastic terms is uh is hardly worth talking about right true i mean that really they're they've got enduring sort of worked into their dna right of these endurance. Monastic communities endurance and and uh you know self uh self-sustaining right um you know i i do wonder i mean we've yeah, 1,500 years, things have, have kind of moved along. There have been large, you know, huge technology advances, yes. Uh, I, I keep coming back to this whole, you know, discovery of alien 
life thing and other spiritualities and other, you know, uh, other beliefs and how that is would play off, uh, you know, Earth's faiths and Earth's traditions and, and, you know, how much that would rock the, 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 the bedrock of of religions in general, but uh, but I, I I tend to think that these monastic communities, if anything's going to survive, you know, it's going to be them. I think without question. Uh, of course, we're we're sort of at a point in the Babylon Five narrative where we're we're a couple of generations removed from that initial shock. Right. Right. And so we may be seeing some of the reverberations of that in in the way that human religion is being depicted. Uh, we've talked a little bit about foundationism and a kind of universalism that seems to be an approach that we get from the, you know, from the writers, a sort of perspective on spirituality and religion that has this kind of universalist tone. I think that's a plausible interpretation of how many religious movements might pivot in response to the realization that no, God doesn't just speak in the thousands of voices of Earth, but in the mm-hmm. tens of millions of voices of the galaxy, right? Right. And, right. you know, certainly Brother Theo is expressing that kind of, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't want to call it an, a, a universalism again, but, but he definitely has an interest in a longer term, long view about right. what the nature of God and the spiritual life is, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's he's definitely got the big picture in mind. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not the name of God is not something you can just discover on Earth. It's only piece of a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, right. Um, right. You know, and, and as you said, we both medievalists in our hearts <laughs> right. uh, and uh, and love us some mystery cults and some oh, yes. weird like mysticism and Gnosticism oh, yes. and all of these things and so you know trying to trying to find all of the names of God uh, among all of the peoples and civilizations of the uh, of the galaxy uh, that that was uh, that was delicious I would find that very appealing yeah, sign me up. Yeah, sign me up, exactly. Um, and, you know, I like the fact that there's a certain respect for understanding of different ways of doing mm-hmm. monasticism, because there's certainly ample evidence in the historical record of monks being exactly the way that he described them. Well, yeah, we're monks, and we, you know, we have this sort of spiritual through line that governs our days and our weeks and our lives, mm-hmm. but we're also teachers and computer programmers and data analysts and pop, 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 pop. there are plenty right. of examples of monastic forms of life oh ab- absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's not it it, it felt plausible not to be, me i guess i'm saying yeah they're not going to be not going to be luddites who you know don't know their way around a a, a standard computer console right you know, they they all they sit down and they're able to to scan through the footage and and do this kind of detail work and and that's as you said completely plausible it makes perfect sense to me that they would uh they wouldn't shun tools in pursuit of their knowledge 
and their uh, their greater spirituality. Yeah, exactly. Any, any tool, any tool is available. Yeah, yeah and, and any tool works. And you know, th- this is one of those things about all sort of '80s and '90s sci-fi that they almost never do. They almost never project from our time forward in this kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's almost always, uh, you know, it's film, it's television, it's Laurel and Hardy, it's Abbott and mm-hmm. Costello, it's Looney yeah. Tunes, it's baseball, you know, what, what, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, y- you know, it's, uh, uh, it's the Ramones, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's Beastie Boys, mm. which mostly I don't like, <laughs> right? Mostly that's not my jam, you know? Yeah. Mostly I want, but then, you know, you know, I'm a history nerd, so so the idea that you can, you know, you can you can bring our contemporary world forward from the lens of a of a clever monk. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah. 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 They're they're you're right. 80s and 90s, we didn't see a lot of of religion. If you if you look, I mean, Star Trek is the elephant in the room here and and religion in star trek you know yeah. earth religion yeah un- nothing until of, deep know. space nine yeah right space and, and, and atheism right yeah and then it, it's not even it's not earth religion it's you know it's it's bejor and alien right. stuff right you know we we don't you know it, it's like money you never hear about it in star trek right yeah you know, to, in the to, federation to, right to to talk in the federation about religion seems akin to talking in our contemporary world about worshiping Hera, mm-hmm. right? Or, uh, yeah. y- you know, or describing the reason for the wildfires we're having here in California is the anger of, uh, uh, you know, of, of mm. Hephaestus or something. It's ridiculous, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you'd never do it in the Star Trek universe. You'd never talk about about gods. No, 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 no. That's a... That's a, you know, people with strange things on their noses have those kinds of beliefs. You know, we're civilized, mm-hmm. right? And of course, that's that's all over Cisco's journey. You mm-hmm. know, which you know is for another podcast. But right, um, yeah, I can't think of I can't think of any strong expressions of religion. In Star Trek, the original series. Um, no, no, it's the yeah. you know, it's the space atheism, as you say, and, yeah. and any time we come across you know Apollo or any of these you know, <laughs> beings that are regarded on Earth as gods, well, they're just aliens of sufficiently advanced technology, right? That uh, that we haven't figured out yet, right? Um, you know, I think the the ethos of that is is. I think very much a, a, a kind of looking down their nose at religion, like you say, it's 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 a ridiculous thing. Why would we need it? We are much more advanced right. than that, and much right. more advanced than any of these, as you say, people with things on their noses. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it is sort of interesting yeah. that the original series uh, appears to have, or the Gene Roddenberry has sort of wholesale abandoned the notion of organized religion or really even a spiritual dimension to, to human life. Uh, in the 1960s, but he didn't abandon economics. No, right. There's all sorts of references to getting paid and uh, credits and da, da, ba, 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 you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get rid of economics until you get proper replicators, and that's not until right. T- TNG, 
right? Right. Yeah, you need yeah. that post scarcity uh, uh, yeah. culture in order to uh, to get there. Yeah. I, you know, I I think it's you know I it's probably part of this whole you know quote unquote liberal elite science fiction you know sneering at at religion. Sure. That Roddenberry probably felt himself, and and it was it was him putting his own uh, you know sort of attitudes towards religion onto uh, into the product. Yeah. And it's not really, as you say, it's not until Deep Space Nine, which is which is the first show that Roddenberry isn't there for, mm-hmm. that that we start to see some of these these mysticism and religion elements you know, coming up and and being treated as more than just some hokey alien who's here to play a prank on us. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm working on a on a book about the the use of religion and spirituality in role-playing games mm. and the um, sort of the role of the cleric in yep. in, in, in the, the way that that we think about uh, role-playing game characters and parties mm-hmm. and you know, my contention is basically the people who invented tabletop role-playing were all war gamers well, sure. you know they, they they need a they need a support class <laughs> and they're more interested in you know, your kind of swords and sorcery tales than they are in spiritual systems, right? Somebody's got to be there to cure light wounds. Yeah, that's right. Someone has to be there to cure that's, light wounds, right? Know, right. And to turn yeah. undead, right? Right. So, you know, if sort of in played, my... If you've ever played a game without a cleric, you, you, you know the importance of having that support healing class. That's there. right, you know. It's just, it's just a heal bot. Right, right. right. And, you mm. know, so that's sort of what I, what I write about in my introduction is to say, well, mm. uh, you know, the folks who, who were doing this who are writing this and by implication all the people writing sci-fi mm-hmm. you know in the uh, in mainstream stuff right you know there's plenty yep. there's plenty of religion and spirituality in sci-fi that's not what i'm talking about sure, talking about your sort of, uh, yeah um you know you <laughs> get we'll draw the curtain on that comment yeah that's right you sort <laughs> of you get a um, uh, you know you get a character who who when you look at what they appear to be there to do well, if you want to actually do some role playing in that, it doesn't really make any sense, mm. and so that's kind of where we, you know, kind of leave off. So, yeah, um, yeah. And my understanding is we'll see more of Brother Theo and his uh, and his merry men, mm-hmm. and yeah. and that'll be that'll be great. You know, we need, yeah. uh, you know, we need this show to continue to make that mm-hmm. spiritual claim. Yep. So. Like we said last week about Marcus, a a good. I mean, he's not as, as major a character as Marcus, but a good character with a different perspective that's going to bring something new and, and a different angle. Yeah, exactly. Into exactly. the show, and that's that's always good. It's to the yeah, it's to the betterment of the show. Uh, yep. You know, we um, we've talked about well, we just talked about Deep Space Nine three minutes ago, yep. but I think that show really hit its uh, its stride after season four when it started to continue to deepen and deepen and deepen the support cast mm-hmm. you know you had sometimes it would take 10 minutes of of actor credits <laughs> to get all the different actors you know who mm-hmm. were you know who were going to be in that particular episode and care uh, you know and uh, they, they do this on b5 too you know we we looked at yeah. zach allen last year mm. sort of incredulously like what are you doing here this early <laughs> right, we thought you were coming yeah. in twenty-five episodes from now, but look here, you are. Yeah, and you know you've got something interesting to do. Yep. So, 
you know, I think one of the one of the themes that 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 we'll uh, that we'll no doubt hit when we get to the end of season five and we're talking about this is you can make a cast that's bigger than you think you can manage, and and your viewers will be able to follow it. Right. Right. You look at yeah. the expansion of the cast in Lost, and you look at the expa- you know the very large casts mm-hmm. in in some of these fantasy programs. Uh, I mean, Game right. of Thrones is is the uh, platinum standard, even despite how murderous they are to the characters. Yeah. There's still a boatload of them. Right. Right. You just have to pay attention. And, yeah, and it, it's good to have these people recurring mm-hmm. better than you we, we we slagged the show a lot in the in the first season for having people come on and right. do things and the, the, it was more important they were more important than the people that than, than the characters are supposed to be caring about right and i think once you've once you've rounded your cast out enough you've got your marcus you've got your zach you've got your brother theo um, you don't need to be bringing in your random dude of the week to right. to to bounce some of the action or the dialogue off of, or to, to to be kind of pivotal in in creating some dramatic tension. You can do that with some of the people who are already there, and that really heightens the investment that the audience has. Agreed. Agreed. So I I welcome bringing in these uh these additional characters uh, especially ones who are going to be recurring yep um and it you know it, it it means that you don't have to have your your main cast doing everything if there's something that you as a writer want to say you've got plenty of of extra voices and you know characters that you've you you, you they maybe don't have don't have as much screen time but you've inhabited them for a while mm-hmm. and, and know how they tick and can write them more authentically, I think. Right, yeah. Inhabited is really the right word, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a nice way to put that. You know, we've got just enough so that we can feel like what they're saying is is an authentic expression yep. of that, you know, the character's kind of perspective or will. Yeah. Um the other thing that's pretty good about Brother Theo and his Merry Men to segue is that it provides an opportunity, it seems to me, for Ivanova to prove that she's the best diplomat the uh, station has at its uh, at its service. True, although I might argue the bar isn't very high. <laughs> um, you know, you, you when you have a uh-huh. when you want to have some sort of diplomatic conversation. Stephen Franklin is not the person you're going to send out uh, to handle complex negotiations and tread delicately on people's feelings. Correct. You know, Garibaldi? No. No. Uh, Zach Allen? No. No. And Captain Sheridan has proven that he has no interest in time and would rather uh, would rather delegate this out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I still maintain that, you know, he's a he's a ship captain he's a military yes. ship captain and and not a diplomat yeah. he's he's much more kirk than picard oh much more and and that's why we saw you know for a year anytime something that would come up and I, you know i i wonder if it was intentional i wonder if it was something yeah. that jms was thinking if i ever get the chance to 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 ask him like three questions 
Right. Uh, I think that will probably be one. It was like, were, were you deliberately having Sheridan like, like dodge every diplomatic situation and dump it on Ivanova in season two? Right. Um, as a means of building her up as the diplomatic character. It's very smart from a writing perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Because it, it really allows her to develop in a in a leadership capacity mm. that if you would have said in the first half a dozen episodes of season one, Ivanova is going to become a competent and maybe even an accomplished diplomat. Mm. Really? Yeah. Huh. Mm. How's that going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. That would not have been a trajectory I would have seen the character taking. Yeah. And it's exciting that she that she that she went there. Yeah. To to dip back into our medievalist uh, uh, bag for oh, a moment. Please do. Her 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 season one form of diplomacy reminds me of the letters that were exchanged between uh, the the great Khan and the papacy, <laughs> right. um, which I'll put some links in the show notes to. They're just wonderful. Yeah. They're, they're all full of like, well, no, you're the one that's going to bow down to me, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, yeah, that that's good more, stuff. That seemed that was season one of Anova's style much more. Yeah, um, but she's definitely softened. Yeah, and is. Uh, is is coming into a maturity in that in that aspect. Right. Yeah, I mean in some respects she has to know that what Sinclair brought from a diplomat's perspective and what Sheridan brings are very different and if she wants there to be any hope of getting out of some of these scenarios that are really diplomacy related. Yeah. She's going to have to open that door. Yeah. Cuz you know John Sheridan. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. I don't think more of a man of action. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Everybody's got their place. Yeah. Everybody assigns their skill points uh, into different areas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk about some elevator or something or other? Some elevator thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just a... You know, I, you know, I had seen... I'd honestly forgotten this scene, uh-huh. um, to be quite honest. And... and I, I but I but I see a lot of chatter, a lot of uh, you know, people talking about their favorite parts of the series, and they and they kept referencing the the elevator scene with Londo and Jakar, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I had remembered it, or I had, I had constructed something in my brain that was completely different from this. So uh, I was kind of surprised that it it, it kind of came up here, and you know I was wasn't expecting it, um, but I thought that it was. It was an interesting scene to me, uh, you know, seeing the two of them trapped in in this locked room situation, mm-hmm. uh, where the the only the only means of of escape was cooperation. It mm-hmm. seemed until mm-hmm. a rescue from the outside, uh, but it's, it's presented as this is the only way, and you know I certainly think that. Again, looking back season one, maybe the first half of season two, I think that they would have worked together. They might have even had a laugh over it at somewhere along the way. But mm-hmm. certainly at this point, that's that's far beyond. Um, but I really, it, it really struck me that that Jakar had found the way forward for him was through this this complete inaction. And it was the only way forward, as he says, you know, if, if I kill you, then they'll kill, you know, 500 Narn. 
so I obviously I can't do anything, but I don't have to. I can just sit back and not do anything, and everything works out perfectly fine in my favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I thought was really interesting is it, you know he's he's come to that point where everything else is taken away from him. Every other mm-hmm. option or avenue has been blocked off, um, and we saw him get so frustrated last season. Uh, about not being able to help, not being able to do anything mm-hmm. for his people. That at the end, what's what's left, the answer that he's left with is inaction to get his goals met. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I saw them playing that off the, the, the sort of A plot of this episode with this, this mad bomber, uh, Carlson, who, you know, one of these, these, I'm sure that TV Tropes has a page for it, one of these uh, regular guy who's been dealt a bad hand and, you know, everything, he's lost everything one after another and he's pushed to extremes, he's pushed to the deep end. Um, in a lot of the same ways that Jakar has been. Uh, you know, he's, his, or at least he perceives that he's in the same kind of position that Jakar is in, that everything's been taken away from him, Mm -hmm. that uh, unfairly, that, that he didn't deserve any of these bad things and they've all fallen down on him. And his, he's driven to his only Avenue is, is this path of violence. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought it was, you know, I I don't know that there's anything deeper or or more meaningful that I had to say, but I thought it was a, I just thought it was a, a nice, balancing of 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 these two stories uh you know where the this a plot was really fairly disposable wasn't really saying a lot i didn't think this yep. carlson yep. you know bombing thing um but uh but i just i you know it it kind of they the, those two pieces played played well together for me yeah yeah your um your your point about inaction and quiet and resolve versus the Carlson approach, I think is pretty well taken. Mm-hmm. It's a way of seeing Jakar continuing a transformation we've been seeing all along from, you know, the bombastic, shouty, Narn, mm-hmm. you know, nationalist belligerent to mm-hmm. a broken but defiant more spiritual leader than anything else right right and it's yeah. a nice contrast to the uh i'm going to call it the way i read it back to a kind of season 1 shouty uh over the top sort of histrionic villain mm-hmm. who would have been far better served if he had just dialed it back uh, you know, I mean, I, I'd forgotten yeah. what that what that read like because mm. it's been a long time. And this yeah. this Carlson really read to me like a, uh, you know, like a mustache twirler and a scenery chewer of the worst kind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it was nice to have that Shakar quiet resolve, you know, to kind of balance it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Of course, then they had to go and ruin everything and rescue them. Yes, quite. Yeah. How unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it occurs to me that there are a couple of things we should have talked about last episode. Yes. That we didn't. Yes. So let's no. let's let's yeah. fix fix what we didn't do quickly yep. and then we could proceed. Okay. 
Yeah, so everyone pretend that we talked about this last week. <laughs> Rewind. There we go. Uh, yeah, the first thing is that uh, the intro has changed, as you heard John's uh, melodious tones at the top of the uh, uh, of the episode reciting uh, Ivanova's narration for the start of season three. Uh, and they've taken away the the purpose for the name of our podcast. That's right. That's right. You know, and I don't, I don't think we've ever really addressed it in, in the con- on the show. We haven't. Uh, you know, and, and I assume people get what we were going for. But the first two years of this show, that just, it, it stuck in my craw and drove me mad. That's the right. The name of the place. You know, it's like, why not? And, and now they just say the place. Great. Perfect, beautiful. That's what I. That's all I ever wanted. Right out of the show. Right. Uh, just fix that thing, and and behold, season three they did it. But it leaves us not saying the name of the place is Babylon Five. Right. Leaves us with a with a with a podcast name that that no longer really sits. Yeah, it, I mean it. It sits in a kind of historical relation to yeah. the previous seasons, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a. I always found that. The name of the place is Babylon. I always find that weirdly awkward. Yeah. Um, and I know that when you and I were, were, were talking about a number of different uh, ideas of what we might do for our you know, inaugural podcast work together, mm-hmm. that I said, the name of the pod is Babylon 5. And you were like, yeah. that's it. That's Done. it. Done. Yeah. Um, Lock it down. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we'll see. used to. The two of us would, would, would two minutes hate at the screen at that Ugh, line every yeah, week. It's such a um, silly line. Yeah. Um, but now we don't have it. No. And and we also don't have the uh, season one and season two music. It's it's definitely taken a turn that is representative for where the show is going in oh, season big time. three. Yeah, big time. Bum, 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 Yeah. Indeed. Um, I like it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it definitely captures the way that season three is going to be different from seasons one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot of shows, are, well, I guess I should phrase this as a question. Are there a lot of shows that mix up their, change up their theme music hmm. season to season to reflect? And, and of course, Deep Space Nine did it. Yes. Um, Enterprise did it. Inter- oh, did they? Okay. I, I, yeah. I will Star Trek confess- the original series did it. Really? Seasons one and two and three are different. Oh. Yep. I don't think I've ever paid that close attention. Um, Star Trek The Next Generation changed its visual effects. Right. Um, Galactica. They mm-hmm. added that vocalization mm-hmm. that was in, apparently that was in the British, that was always in the British editions, and they decided they liked it and brought it to the United States in the second season, oh. or late in the first season. Hmm. Um, See, I just always, I I can't really picture it without the vocalizations. Yeah, yeah. But then same. I usually skip through the opening <laughs> credits anyway, because yeah. they're just so abominably long. Uh a, 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 a very salient example of this change, uh, perhaps the most egregious, is the change between Space 1999 Season 1 <laughs> and Space 1999 Season 2. Space 1999 Season 1 
is just this weird, weird. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, it's just weird. Okay. Uh, God, I wish I had better words. Uh, <laughs> well, we, we'll have links in the show notes. Yeah, this, it, it's course, got so this kind of weird, uh, you know, kind of, um, kind of um, funk guitar and this kind of strange keyboard theremin yeah. kind of stuff going on. Uh-huh. Space 1999 season two, though, basically sounds like it was composed by the same person who wrote for Donna Summer in the 1970s. Ooh. Well, I mean, it's got a kind of a disco vibe, which, yeah, you know, it's okay. Not quite what I'm going for. Yeah. I, I have very few memories of space 1999. I see. Because, uh, Mira, was that her name? Maya. Maya, the shapeshifter, uh, scared the bejesus out of me. And I have no idea why. And... Uh, she's scary. No, no, no. I, she's properly scary, I think. It, you know, at some point, my father was like, you know, that's it. You're not allowed to watch the show anymore. It freaks you out too much. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, I was. W- w- when was that on? When, she showed up in season two, right? Season two. Yeah. That's probably 1975. Yeah. So at that point, I'm five years old. Yeah, so, that's too young. Yeah, it was just some, her eyebrows just, I don't know. It yes, gave me nightmares. And I, would, I would like hide under a blanket when she came on. And my father was like, nope. We're done. And we're done. <laughs> so, uh, so we like the new music. Yeah. We like the new opening. Yep. And, um, and we're, we're well launched into season three. We are, we are. And, and looking forward to where it goes. As I said before, the, my, my very fuzzy memory is that season three is where everything, uh, really kicks into, uh, right. Full gear. Yeah, Thank we're going to see a bit of that, not from the sort of bombast perspective, but from the characters realigning themselves perspective in the next episode. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which we'll talk about in the fullness of time. We will, in fact, in one week's time. Indeed. And so, folks, we hope you'll uh, join us then. Go out, rate, review, recommend. Um, hit us up on the Facebook group to uh, let us know what you think. And uh, give us any suggestions about topics that you want us to tackle in the future we're always uh, always happy to to listen and to to take feedback very much so yes good all right okay. chris until next time okay cheers bye chris chris i think skype is crashed hello oh 